All right. Well, uh, grab your Bibles. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Um, we are going through the gospel according to Luke. That's the book that we are studying. And uh, it's going to be a really, really fun journey. I'm excited how God will continue to shape us more to the image of this person of Jesus Christ who lived, who died, who rose, and who sent his Holy Spirit to uh, do many things, to ignite his church with a passion for his name. And um, we get to Luke 1. We're going to be in verse 26 to 38 this morning. And I'm just going to read it for us, and then we're going to, we're going to dive in. It won't be on the screen. We're going to go uh, through it verse by verse in just a minute. But Luke chapter 1, uh, we're going to go to verse 26. And this is what Luke writes. He says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary says to the angel, natural response, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child is to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, so Luke chapter 1. Let, let's just, in case you guys uh, weren't here and haven't uh, been coming or you're dropping in right now or you're just visiting, here's what we're learning about the book of Luke. The book of Luke is written by a guy named Luke who was a physician. He was a companion of Paul's from kind of Acts 16 on in his missionary journeys. He was so transformed by the personal work of Jesus that he's one of the only guys that endures with Paul all the way to the end before he's beheaded. In 2 Timothy, we see that. Everybody else deserts Paul, but he stays with him. And then what we learn also is that, that Paul was at one time kind of a skeptic of the things of Jesus, the life and teachings and truth about him, and he learns the life and teachings and truth about him. Now he wants this guy, Theophilus, who's a high-ranking Roman official, who's probably intrigued by Christianity, he's probably not sure what he believes about all of this. He wants him to be certain of the life, teachings, and truth of Jesus Christ. So he writes this 52-chapter volume work that covers covers 60 years of human history from the forerunner of John the Baptist proclaiming that the Messiah would come to the life of the teachings and, and death and resurrection of Jesus all the way to this works and the church spreading to the ends of the Roman Empire. So this is massive. Luke writes more the New Testament than any other writer including Paul. So Luke and Acts, these two books are significant for the Christian faith. Okay, so if there are two books we really want to get, and we'll probably get to Acts at some time as a faith family, but we're in Luke right now. We're going to walk through and marvel at and stare at this person who was Jesus. And I said this last time, Luke is not concerned at you just knowing cute things about Jesus. 
Okay, he's not interested in you just being able to say the miracles he did or think he was a good prophet or a good teacher or just morally upright or he taught us how to live in a humanitarian way or he really got social justice or no. He wants you to understand all that God accomplished through the personal work of Jesus. Okay, he's going to have a kingdom that will never end. Okay, he is going to rescue and redeem a people, his bride, a church that will magnify and give glory to his name. So that's what Luke wants you to get. He, and he wants you to be transformed by that and certain of that. And so here Luke is writing to this guy Theophilus and really to anyone who is reading this. It's, it's relevant for all of us. And here is what's so significant about the start of this book and what you have to understand about Old Testament history with Israel. Okay? We learned last week, if you get to the end of chapter one, Zechariah kind of busts into this song, 15 verses of inspired worship, and he says, the sun will rise on the most high. Okay, here's what he's saying. He is, he is further reiterating a promise in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, where, where Malachi says, the sun of righteousness, S-U-N, not S-O-N, the sun of righteousness will rise and bring healing in its beams. Okay, here is what the Bible, and here's what God is trying to get across to us, that he made a promise that all the darkness that oppressed God's people, not just Israel, but oppresses the world, the, the sin, the darkness, the unrest, the injustice, the, the fracture that happened post-Genesis 3, okay, God is going to come, the son of righteousness is going to rise and pull back the darkness. It's going to shatter the darkness. It's going to bring healing. So Israel, for years, ever since the call of Abraham, has been longing for for sunlight figuratively. Okay, so from the calling of Abraham into, you know, 400 years of enslavement in Egypt to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness to, you know, them going into captivity, out of captivity, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom being split to them being rescued from that, then getting back into that, blessings, curses, blessings, curses. Then they finally get out of exile. Then they're oppressed by Greeks and they're later oppressed by Romans. They're going, where's the sunlight? And, and, and here God promises, man, the sunrise is coming. And it's going to come in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we learned last week that there's this common ordinary priest named Zechariah who is doing his common priestly duty. He's one of 18,000 priests at the time, one of 24 divisions of priests, and he gets the golden ticket. Right, he gets the ticket to Disney, right? Because they, they draw a lot, and only a few priests get to, only two priests get to do this every year, and some priests never get to do it in their life. And this guy gets his name drawn, Zachariah. He's, he's, and just so you know, background of the family, they can't have kids, they can't conceive. They're probably shamed by the community, the Jewish community, because that was looked at as you being cursed by God if you couldn't have children or provide children. And so this guy finds out that he gets to go down to the temple for two weeks and do the lighting of incense that happens two times a year. You don't get to go in the, whole, the Holy of Holies, but you get to go in the holy place. So he's excited about this. He goes in there. He takes his barrel of coals. He goes to the golden altar. He dumps them on. He goes to light the incense. The people outside are praying. It's evening. There's a large multitude, and an angel shows up. It's the first time God breaks his silence in over 400 years. And he says, hey, guess what? You're going to have a son. Insane. And Zechariah's looking around going, okay, I know I'm not supposed to be seeing an angel. I didn't read this in the priest book for dummies. I thought I lit it, I'm in, I'm out, and now an angel shows up. I'm terrified, I'm panicked, and he responds in unbelief. He says, okay, I hear that this is the promise you're making, but here are all the reasons why you can't do that. And so God mutes his mouth, 
as a reminder of his unbelief. And remember, God does it in loving discipline, not in punishment. If you are in Christ, you're not under wrath, you're under mercy. And we see later, we're going to see that this righteous discipline of God towards Zechariah causes worship in his heart. He's going to worship God with the lips that were muted later on as he see God's promise fulfilled. And so we took courage and, hey, God doesn't beat us up or punish us as some cosmic killjoy. He's a God who lovingly disciplines you. And the cause of that and the motivation for that is always that it would result in greater worship to his name. And so that happened to Zechariah, and now we're going to meet Angel Gabriel coming again to a common, ordinary young woman. So he first shows up to a common, ordinary old man. Now he comes to a common, ordinary young woman named Mary. And he's going to bring a promise, and she's going to respond differently. And there's a lot that we're going to see. And we're going to see here that that God brings the answer to all the Old Testament longings. he's He's got good news. For, for God's people and the people of the world that have been sitting in darkness, sitting in unrest, sitting in turmoil. So if you're here and you're feeling the weight of darkness, you're feeling the weight of sin, you're feeling the weight of, of pressure, of I can't accomplish, I can't do enough, I, this is for you and for me. This is the good news that he announces. And here Luke moves from this extraordinary promise to the parents of the forerunner to an extraordinary promise to the parent of the Savior, verse 26. And the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, remember, Gabriel showing up is huge. Remember we said if you do a study of angels throughout the Bible, you'll see there are myriads and myriads, okay, hundreds of millions. And you know only two are named? We got Michael who shows up to, to war, and then you got Gabriel, who's the mailman. Okay, he always brings those good messages. So here Gabriel's showing up, and it has been 500 years since, 400 years since people have seen an angel, 500 years since there's been any sign of a miracle. So, so this has been a, a long time where this hasn't happened. We know that Mary and Zechariah knew the Old Testament. They remembered when the angel Gabriel showed up to Daniel. They're going, really, this is the angel showing up to me? So Gabriel's showing up. This is massively important, and Luke is concerned with credibility. So again, he places you at a specific time in history. Remember, he's not not saying, hey, long time, far, far away, this happened, this angel showed up to Mary. No, he's saying in the sixth month. He's giving you precise dates because he's a historian. He cares about you knowing that this is a credible document where he talked eyewitnesses, saw journals, saw memoirs, all of those things that we discussed two weeks ago. Go listen to that sermon if you didn't, which kind of set us up for why this is a credible uh, piece that we can read. And so here Luke comes and he says, in the sixth month. Now, this is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay, this isn't like in the sixth month of the year. Okay, and if you, you just read 25 on, right? We just ended in verse 25 that, that she kept herself hidden for five months. And Luke is saying, okay, now in the sixth month, Gabriel comes back. And you're going to see later in this passage that he validates again that this is the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth. So Gabriel comes back, and last week Gabriel shows up to this common ordinary priest. This week he shows up to this woman named Mary, and it says Mary's a virgin. Okay, that means literally she had no sexual relations with anyone. Okay, that's what that word means. Not just... There as you see it in the English, but in the original language, okay? So, so we have this woman who is clearly not expecting to be pregnant and knows she can't get pregnant, okay? She, she's fully aware of that. She says she's a virgin. Now, 
according to Roman law, just so you guys understand, and you're not having a, a weird understanding or view based upon how you were brought up in VBS or Bible school or saw paintings and drawings, Roman law was women could be engaged at the age of 12. That was normal. Okay, so young girls at the age of 12 would be engaged. That would last for about a year to two years, and then they would get married. Okay, he, here's why. They thought, man, this is a way, number one, for a young woman to protect her virginity, so then the second she hits puberty and she's going, wow, boys aren't just cute anymore, thought they were just someone to annoy, now I actually like them, I'm kind of attracted to them, they can protect their virginity and their faithfulness and have them involved in an engagement where the parents would set up this arranged marriage, they would say, okay, yeah, she's kind of pretty, she's kind of a good deal, he's kind of a good deal, let's have them get married, that's how it was. I used to think arranged marriages were insane until I had Jackson, now I'm like, that's actually a great idea. I mean, just do your own godly legacy. You pick. You know what I'm saying? We all get mad at it until we have our own kid. We're going, no, no, you don't pick. You know, you're a train wreck on your own. Let mom and dad pick. We'll organize it for you, okay? So, so that's what is, so historically, they were smart. They weren't stupid, okay? We can shake our fists at them. You have a kid, you'll see what it's like. Some of you guys are going, I know. Some of you guys who have raised kids, you see their spouse. We won't go there. Okay, sorry. We, 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 we're going to stay right here. We're going to stay right here. Praise God, his grace covers the wrong decisions that we make, okay? <laughs> Amen. Amen, he does. He does. So, so here, they're, 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 this is back. Come back. Come back. I know it's hard. They're engaged so they didn't have to live years trying to restrain normal adult passions. It's just, it's just what they did. Now, it makes sense to a degree if you think about it, right? So, so she's a young girl, probably 12 years old, and it says she's betrothed to a guy named Joseph. Okay, betrothal is very simply just like engagement, okay? But it was a legal binding document that the two parents agreed upon that lasted a year. So the only thing that could break that was an official divorce or death, okay? So, so it was two families saying, hey, this is what you're going to do. And during that year, the woman would prove her faithfulness. The young girl would prove her faithfulness. The young boy would kind of set up the home, usually in addition to his father's house. And then they would eventually have a wedding. And the wedding, according to Jewish customs, because they practiced Roman law, they would actually last for about seven days. It would be called the wedding of feast. Now, if you go to John chapter 2, you know Jesus shows up. as one of his first miracles at the wedding. You're wondering, well, how does wine run out in one afternoon? It was seven days. So obviously the wine's running out, and Jesus makes more wine so they can enjoy it at the wedding of Cana. So uh, just for that. And Luke tells us that Joseph, this guy who Mary is betrothed to or engaged to, is in this legal binding um, arrangement from their parents, is in the line of David. Now, according to prophecy, Jesus will come through the line of David. Now, skeptics will say, well, Jesus was not physically the bloodline of Joseph, who was the line of David, so that's a false prophecy. Well, two things. Number one, we're going to get to Genesis 3, I mean Genesis 3, we're, maybe, uh, but we're going to get to Luke 3, where I believe it actually shows that Mary was a part of the lineage and the line of David, but outside of that, what you have is not just physically the line, but legally, because this was going to be legally binding. He was, this child was going to be legally adopted by Joseph who would legally be their father. So he might not be by blood or by birth, but legally binding as in the line of David as his legal father. Okay, so even if Luke 3 wasn't true, which I believe it is, and I believe it gives us wisdom and, and sunlight into her, also Mary being a part of this, we can also fully see that the line does not stop and that legally Jesus was a part of the line of David and it was binding as his father. Verse 28 says this, and this angel came to Mary and said, greetings, I love that. That's just a normal hi. 
in, in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, English. That's what it is. Just, hi, what's up? That's what it is. Just a common everyday greeting. If an angel shows up to you, you imagine that? Hey, what's up? How you doing? You know, I mean, it's just, it's just wild. I mean, you got to get in the story. Okay. Then she sa- he says after this, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That's profound. She tried to discern what type of greeting this might be. She was greatly troubled. She's going, are, are you talking to me? Because I know who I am. And you're showing me favor? The, the white, hot, holy God of the universe is, is calling me favored one? I, I know my sin. There's got to be someone else in the room, right? I mean, you, you can't be talking to me. I mean, is, shouldn't this be the posture of our hearts when God just graciously in his own will and own merit shows you blessing, shows you grace? Isn't that how we respond? Me? Why in the world me? I mean, if you have an honest assessment of your own heart, okay, I'm not talking about the person who's living in fairy tale land who thinks they've never sinned and never made a mistake and never wronged someone or never, never done anything that would, could mess up human history, okay, but the person who's honestly aware of their sin, honestly aware of the brokenness, honestly aware of there's something's got to be fixed in my heart, outwardly, in the world, inside humanity, okay, God, you're going to show me favor? You're going you're gonna to show me blessing? Why would you want to be kind to me? I mean, I know often I think, I, I know Mike Reed. I know the thoughts that go through my head. I, I know the, the feelings I have at times. And I'm going, you want to be gracious to me? You want to show kindness to me? That, that, we're, this is getting at why I believe Mary is troubled. And I think it's very different from Zacharias. I think, I think Zachariah was solely terrified and panicked at seeing the angel, I think Mary's more shook by what he says. Because there's a very different response here. You're going to see humility in Mary, whereas you see pride in Zechariah. And don't miss this. It says, and the virgin's name was Mary. Or, don't miss this. It doesn't say. The virgin's name was Mary. She loved the Lord with all her heart, all her soul, all her mind. She was the perfect 12-year-old daughter, did all her chores, lived a perfectly upright, holy life, didn't miss a single commandment. That got... We don't know anything about her. That's the point. God just shows grace when he wants to. Like, you don't, you don't merit any of it. Like, he just shows up and decides to be kind to you. So it's not that you have something to barter with with God where, you know, well, I, I was kind of a good pick, so that's why he could choose me or show me grace or show me merit. No, God does it unconditionally. God does it because he can. It is not you're more talented or you're more special. He says, no, I do it because I'm sovereign and I can show grace and mercy to whoever I want. And so he shows up and just shows mercy to Mary, gives her a promise that will blow her mind, and she's shown grace. Why? She's shown favor. Why? Because she deserved it? No. No, we know nothing about her. And this is where you got to be careful. This is why we don't worship her. We worship the God who showed grace to her. Okay, she, she wasn't, you know, sinless because she conceived God in his providence, protect that baby from the sin nature of Mary. Hey, listen, he created the universe, 
Okay, he spoke planets into orbit and made the sun and gave you oxygen, made all the DNA. I think he can protect a baby from original sin inside the womb of a sinful woman and have a sinless son of God be born. That's not hard for him. If you read the Bible, consistently it says, is there anything too hard for God? He does what he wants. He's in control. This is not a huge miracle. Have you seen other stuff he's done? Are you, are you on planet Earth right now? Do you check out that miracle? Right? That there's human life and we're revolving around the sun and we're... Anyways, I digress. So here's, here's, here's what I want us to, why I want us to see this is because I feel like so many of us still, and I know I've said this before, we have this skewed, errant understanding of salvation or a relationship with God and we think that we're in a contract with him when you're in a covenant with him. And so, so we think, okay, so in order for me to get picked on the God team and be on the winning team and escape hell, maybe have some fire insurance, not really be my Lord and Savior, I, I just have to kind of make a contract with God. Okay, God, if you do these things, man, then I'll, I'll trust you, I'll walk into this thing, I'll embrace your sacrifice, but really, you're God, he's not God, so you make all the lists and requirements, you sign on the dotted line, you want God to sign on the dotted line, and then if he breaks anything, because anything in your life that might ruffle your feathers or mess up your routine or do something that you don't like, all of a sudden you shake your fist to the heaven and say, this contract's broken, you're not faithful when it never depended on you, ever, right? It always depends on him, which is why you're in what's called a covenant, because it's solely on God saving you, showing you grace, showing you kindness, keeping you in his holy grip, not about you performing or meriting favor or adding accomplishments or working harder to keep yourself in the love of God. It is all him always doing it. So the covenant you're in depends on God and not on you. Like, like that's what you're in. And so understand, Mary, this is what's amazing. The only reason she can be shown favor is not on anything she did. It's solely based on what God is going to do through her very own son. She will actually, God will actually be able to look at her with grace and kindness and make her righteous because of the birth and righteous life of her very own son. That's how the God of the universe would even be able to make this declaration, is for what would come from her. Amazing. Powerful. And she gets it. This is what shook Mary. She's troubled. And I love it. Mary just, she can't get over God's grace. You're going to see this continually, especially next week when she starts singing. She can't get over it. She can't fathom his kindness to her because she's firmly and keenly aware of her state of sinfulness. She'll say in her song, what a savior. She knows she needs a savior. How holy are you? She knows he's holy. I mean, Mary understood this. And she is shook by the grace that God is showing her. I feel like I can hear her saying, how can I be the object of anything other than his right judgment? Is that where your heart is? Do you you understand that? How could I... How could it be anything, knowing your sinfulness, knowing that you've offended his name, knowing that you're a glory thief, that you constantly live your life to worship other things and other pleasures, you don't want to follow his good, right commands that lead to life and not destruction, you, you constantly tell him what to do, you act as God, you sit on your throne, and not once have you removed it, or is your heart at a place of, how gracious is he? I know I'm, I'm nothing other than the object of his judgment, and he would show me grace and kindness and mercy, and that creates worship. That creates joy. 
verse 30, this is what the angel says. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. There it is. You found favor with God. Why? Because you wanted to. Why are you saved? Because he wanted to save you. You got nothing to barter with. He doesn't owe you anything. You just showed favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Can you, if you're a mom, can you imagine getting this declaration about a son that you're supposed to have? Like a, like a big deal. Like, like this son is going to have a kingdom that will never end. He's going to have royal lineage. I mean, he's going to be the savior of the world. I mean, I'm sure there's got to be so many parts of you that can't understand that. We're going to see Mary can't understand that. Because she's human. It's hard to grasp all that. And it's incredible just seeing Gabriel comes with the most significant birth announcement that will ever come in human history. I mean, this is the most, listen, I know we get all excited about our birth announcements. I remember when Jackson was coming, right? I remember, man, we're sending out emails and texts. I mean, listen, he's okay, he's, but he's not holy. Okay, he's cute and cuddly, but he's not sinless, right? I mean, he's not great. He's not the son of the most high. Jackson's not going to have a kingdom that goes forever and ever and ever. I mean, I, I wish he did. That'd be awesome, but he can't do that. So, so this baby's going to be different. This is a grand announcement. This is huge. Man, all the answers to the Old Testament longings and the longings of the human heart to fix the fracture and brokenness and injustice and unrest, they're being answered. He's coming. The sunrise is coming. He's going to pull back the darkness. Incredible. And so he makes this promise to Mary, an announcement all generations in Israel and the world would have been waiting for and anticipating. Just, just waiting for it. Just waiting for it. Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Is the sun going to come? I mean, remember Malachi prophesying, saying it was going to come. Is it going to come? There's been 500 years of silence. We haven't heard anything. God broke his silence. People were hearing stories about Zechariah. You hear what happened? They said there's a foreigner that's going to come to point to this Messiah, this, this sunrise that's going to come. And now he comes to, to Mary and he says, hey, it's going to come through you. You're going to be the mother of this long-awaited Messiah. Crazy. Profound. And he gives a promise that's just as crazy as Zechariah, right? Six months prior, hey, I know you guys have been trying for children. I know you're barren. I know you're shamed by culture. Hey, I'm going to give you a son. He's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. Hey, Mary, I know you're not trying for kids. I know that you're engaged. I know you're not expecting to be married but, or have children. But guess what? You're going to have a son, and he's going to be this Savior that the forerunner John the Baptist, that your relative Elizabeth, is having soon who's going to pave the way for your son. And he made the promise to an old man and the promise to a young girl. And notice what the angel says. Your son, he's going to be great. Now, this word great, this isn't when you think, man, I had a great sandwich. <laughs> like, that's not this word. Man, I just had a great day. Man, things are just going great. Okay, you know, like that, that's not, this word great can be translated magnificent. Indisputable. Powerful exalted this son he's going to be great he's not just going to be any boy 
He's going to be powerful. He's going to be distinguished. It, it speaks not to his greatness being given to him, but something he possesses. This greatness is possessed by him. It's not given to him. He is great. He is magnificent. He is powerful. And this is the promise that he gets. And then he says, your son will be great, and he will be called the son of the most high God. So he's identifying Jesus. You're going to see this all throughout the Gospels. He's identifying Jesus as the same essence as the most high God. This is an allusion to Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. So people are going to see his miraculous works. People are going to see his righteous life. People are going to see his atonement death, people are going to see his crazy resurrection, people are going to see his works, he's going to talk like God, think like God, act like God, he will be God in human flesh, he will be the son of the most high, this is who your son's going to be. Amazing. No one will be higher than him, no one will be more exalted than him, no one will be more sovereign than him. This is your son. These are not little cute phrases. These are profound, weighty words that Mary understands. Because she understands the Old Testament. And this is why she says this in verse 34. Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Listen, Mary asked the natural question. Okay, so... Tell me, okay, I hear all this, it's profound, it's weighty, but how is this going to happen? Because I know you're an angel, I know you probably know this already, okay, I know that you are in the presence of God, so he knows this, because I know he's omnipotent, omnipresent, and, but I'm a virgin. And, and, I mean, I had the birds and the bees talk with my parents, and I know how this happens, right? She's just stating the obvious. I mean, this, this seems impossible. This and it's, it's, not, it's not unbelief. It's she's not understanding. She's asking for understanding. She's not like Zechariah who is outright unbelief in the promise of God. She's going, I trust you, God. I believe you, God. I know who you are. I know who I am. But I'm just, I'm just wondering how this is going to happen because this is hard for me to understand. Like any virgin would say. How is it possible for me to get pregnant? Now, Mary understands too. That she knows that he's not saying, hey, you and Joseph are going to get married, and then you're going to conceive a son. She knows that this angel's saying, no, you're going to conceive a son now. Right? So that's why she's asking this. So she also knows when she gets home, that's going to be an interesting conversation with Joseph. Right? Either he's going to think one of two things. Either she hopped on the crazy train, or they've got a serious premarital counseling appointment with their pastor. Where they got to dialogue through this and discuss this, right? So look at what Gabriel, Gabriel gives an answer to Mary. This is so good, verse 35. And the angel answered her, didn't have to. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel gives Mary an answer. You want to know how this child's going to be born? The Holy Spirit's going to create the baby. You're not going to need the seed of a man. The Holy Spirit miraculously is going to give birth to the womb inside you. 
Now, Mary's told something that is not terribly abstract if we understand creation and redemptive history, do we? I mean, the Trinitarian God in the beginning of all things in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters and brought formation to what was formless and void and helped create out of nothing. The same Holy Spirit is going to hover over the womb of Mary and is going to create in that womb something that was made from nothing. The Holy Spirit, the same agent, the same Trinitarian God who the Holy Spirit, one of the primary agents in forming creation, is going to form creation in the womb of Mary. Now, you've you got to understand, I mean, Mary understands the Old Testament. She understands Genesis 18. She's, she's getting all this. We're going to see in a minute why this is so profound. But Gabriel says not only is this Holy Spirit going to give birth, says the Spirit of the Most High will overshadow you. So God himself, his sovereign hand will overshadow, will watch over this sovereign making, the sovereign creating, the sovereign knitting together of this baby in your womb. I mean, he's going he's gonna to cause all of that to happen. This is passionate, sovereign, influence, creative power. And because he will be divinely conceived by God, he's going to be totally set apart. He's going to be totally holy. I know other kids are cute and cuddly. They're not holy. They're not sinless. This son will be sinless, son of the most high God. He's going to make from nothing something, and he will be the redeemer of the world made in human flesh. He will manifest the glory of God. Amazing. He will be glorious. And it's one thing to say it's going to happen. It's another thing to be able to do it. And that's why the angel just kind of drops in that last really important phrase. Nothing's impossible with God. Nothing's too hard for him. This is something that's not difficult for him to do. Now, why does the angel say this? Because Mary's a human. What is she thinking in her mind right now? This is impossible. I mean, this is impossible. I don't understand. Okay, I'm going to have a child, but I, I'm not going to, because I, I know how human sexuality works. I know that I have to be with Joseph, but I'm a virgin. I know she, he's saying that I'm going to conceive a son now, and I'm just trying to wrap my mind around it. I'm trying to understand that. And here he says nothing is impossible with God. And I, I love this because... Mary knows the Old Testament, and I believe this angel's bringing her back to Genesis 18, because in Genesis 18, what happens with Abraham and Sarah? Abraham and Sarah, he says, hey, you guys are going to have a kid, Isaac, and Sarah laughs. She's like, ha, that, that's funny, right? Do you know how old I am? Can, can this really happen? And what does the angel say? Hey, nothing's too hard for God, Right? I mean, what does it say in Psalm 115? He does whatever he pleases. What does it say in Jeremiah 32? Nothing is too hard for him. So he's just reiterating the mantra that's always been said throughout redemptive history. God is sovereign. His power is limitless. There's no ceiling on his ability, no ceiling on his creative power. There's no ceiling on his majesty and glory. He does whatever he wants. I mean, he formed the first man and woman. So he is going to do this. So he's reminding her of the sovereign control and authority of God. Nothing is impossible with him. And look at Mary's response. Zechariah responded in pride and unbelief. Mary responds in humility and faith. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There's humility in Mary. Zechariah goes, I hear your promise. This is why it's impossible. 
Mary says, I hear your promise. It's hard to understand, but I submit to you. I surrender to you. You're God. You're sovereign. I'm not. You do what you want. You show me how this is going to happen. You see that just, just humility from Mary and the faith of Mary? Not acknowledging, no, and I, I know, God, you don't owe me all the answers, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your authority. I'm going to trust who you are. I'm going to trust in your character. And, and Mary just beautifully shows, let it be done according to your will. Listen, Mary knowing full well she's going to get pelted with, she could get pelted with rocks till she dies according to law, being pregnant out of wedlock. She knows that's possible, but she would rather trust in the sovereign hand of the Almighty God and his promise. And in humility say, do as you please. Mary submits herself to God and it ends with a simple postscript, the angel departed from her. Mission accomplished. This redeemer, this divine savior, the one who's gonna pull back the darkness, the, the sunrise that will bring healing in its beams, the sun will, that will rise on the most high at the end of Luke chapter one, verse 78. That's going to happen. It's gonna happen primarily through your son. So I, I did my deal, Gabriel saying I, I sent the mail. I delivered the message. And now buckle your seatbelt. Offspring is here. The divine king who will reign over kingdoms forever and ever is here. And he will come through this virgin who is Mary. And so all Old Testament longings are found. The hopelessness, the fracture, the unrest, the injustice in our hearts. The unrest from wanting to be healed from our sin is found and bound up in Jesus. And here's my question. Is this where your hope lies this morning? Is it Because this is where Mary's hope lies. And the sunrise that would come through her son. Or in the present darkness that you sit in is your hope in your accomplishments your decision-making, you being God of your life, you sitting on the throne, you telling everyone else what to do, were you submitted to him? Going, God, you run the show. You run the universe. You run my life. I can trust you. I don't always understand it. I don't deserve anything. I have nothing to barter with. I come to you in humility. Your will be done. You don't owe me money. You don't owe me a big stock market. You don't owe me a perfect family. You don't owe me a perfect marriage. You don't owe me a great job, you don't, just starting there breeds the posture of Mary's heart, which is, you're gonna, so anything you do that remotely resembles grace and kindness, I'm gonna marvel at. I'm gonna marvel at it. Because I don't deserve any of it. We don't deserve life. We don't deserve 90 years. These are, these are the truths. This is what's actually true. You don't deserve no one to betray you. You don't deserve no one to walk out on you. It may happen. Maybe it has. But God, in spite of all that, shows grace and kindness primarily through his promised one, Jesus Christ, who does, hear me, the most important and possible thing. With God, nothing's impossible. Primarily making sinful, glory-thieving, fractured, broken, idolatrous human beings with finite minds who belittle the God of the universe's name. How in the world can we be in fellowship with him? How in the world can we be made righteous and stand in his presence? 
and worship his name. I'll tell you how. He did the impossible. He brings Jesus through a virgin to live the life for you, to die the death for you, to rise again, giving you his Holy Spirit, offering forgiveness, giving you his righteousness. He does the impossible. Like there's no hope outside of him. There's nothing we can do. It's impossible to gain grace, impossible to gain favor. Hear me, you are not in a contract with God. You do not barter with him. You do not teach him like he's your little tutoring ch- child. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. This, is, this plagues the evangelical community. It plagues Christians. It plagues theology. We think that we sit on the throne and we tell him what to do and we give him the commands and say, if you don't dictate and run my life the way I want, I'm out of here. How prideful are you? And how prideful am I? To even consider that. When we should be coming like Mary going, wait, there's grace for me? You, you're going you're gonna to give me friendship? You're going to give me reconciliation? You're going you're gonna to wipe the debt of my sin? You're, you're going to give me the spotless, blameless, above reproach life of Jesus Christ himself? So when I stand before God, it's not messed up, wicked, jacked up, Mike Reed. You're going to see the spotless, blameless, holy, above reproach life of Jesus Christ in my place. I can't believe I've been shown favor by God. And this is how he's always operated. It's how he's always done it. Read the Old Testament. Israel didn't, didn't deserve to be his chosen people. He just said, you're going to be mine. Did they do anything spectacular? No, what? Just read about their life. They're a train wreck, Right? And God, despite their immorality and their idolatry and their stumbling and falling, he still is good and gracious and kind. Why? Because he's faithful to his promise of Jesus. Not because they finally cleaned themselves up and that he finally saw them as good and manageable. And Okay, now we're good. No, my covenant is solely based upon what I've done. You know, this is also, you're going to see, a very characteristic of Luke. Luke 18, one of the most beautiful displays of salvation I've ever seen where a man comes to Jesus and says, not, hey, I deserve mercy. So I'm going to say some things. I'm going to say a chant, and then you give me mercy. He says, is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? Isn't that such the posture we should have? Not, hey, you're obligated to save me because I've held up my end of the contract. No, it's, if there's mercy, save me. What a, what a beautiful place to be. And lastly, I submit to you to maybe just honestly assess where your heart is before God. Do you think he owes you things? Do you have an honest understanding of the God of the universe who every command he gives is never to take from you but to give generously, to lead you into life in deeper joy? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's a God that's worthy of submitting to Can you say, even though I don't understand, like Mary, I believe you, I trust you. It's a hard, dark season for me. I know there's no visible evidences right now, but maybe you've seen evidences of his faithfulness in the past to you. Can you you hold on to those things? Can you you say in your heart, God, you're sovereign, I'm not. You're fully sufficient, I'm ill-sufficient. You know all things, I don't know hardly anything. Can you say that? Let's ask him. God, thank you that you're a God who redeems. Thank you that you're a God who broke into human history and appeared to two common, ordinary people and made profound promises. And in Zechariah's case, we saw last week, you used him despite him, despite his sin, despite his unbelief. And that here we see you use someone still despite their sin. It's someone who responds in humility and faith. God, give us big hearts to trust you. 
God, give us big hearts to see the evidence of your kindness and grace in the sunrise that has come, us being on the other side of the cross, who look back at the glorious work that was done through Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. God, may we celebrate that. That's why we're here. God, that's why we can come before you and worship. God, I pray we would consistently assess and examine our hearts where this Jesus needs to invade those spaces. Pray for those who are burned and weary this morning. That they would understand the divine favor of God because of Jesus towards them in Christ. They would see his grace. They would see his kindness in the everyday. They'd marvel at his goodness to them in them being here this morning, breathing air, having life in their, in their, in their body, being able to see, being able to hear, being able to talk, being able to fellowship. God, we praise you for that. Make us a humble people. Make us a people who magnify your name and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.